Welcome, everybody, to the Old Time Boxing Show on the Grueling Truth Sports Network. I'm your host for the Old Time Boxing Show, Mike Goodpaster. Right now, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, as always, the Grueling Truth's boxing historian, Christopher Shelton. How you doing, Christopher? Oh, uh, doing good. And uh, I just want to say a special thanks to uh, Alex Ramos for supporting all this, and I don't think I've ever thanked him before. So I just want to make sure that I do that now. Yeah, and I want to remind everybody, as always, the Old Time Boxing Show is brought to you by the Retired Boxers Foundation with Jackie Richardson and Alex Ramos. Make sure you go check them out on Facebook. They do a lot of great work for retired boxers. Today, our topic is Ray Boom Boom Mancini, who held a WBA lightweight title from 1982 to 1984. Inherit his nickname from his father, the great boxer Lenny Mancini, who was ranked number one until the war basically knocked him out of any title shot. And the thing about Mancini, I think, is, Christopher, I think he gets underrated because anybody that could go 14 rounds with Alexis Arguello at the age he did has to be a damn good fighter. And then to go on and win a portion of the lightweight crown. And when you look at him, the backstory here, I think, is what made him famous. Well, I think, yes, also, it is. And, and that's one of the problems is his mass popularity gives the impression of a hype. And anytime you have that, you might think the boxer's overrated. But Mancini, I don't think, you know, studying this again, and the only thing he did was was smart. He also picked the right time when to bow out. And I think he did everything right. In fact, this is, of all the people I've ever covered, this is going to be one of the most difficult people for me to criticize in a negative way. And that's not just because I'm on some kind of bandwagon for the guy. That's based on what I saw and what I see when the guy fights. Yeah, I mean, he always gave everything. And you could never question that. And I think the other thing is, he kind of tapped out soon after only about five years of a boxing career because of the way he fought. And that backstory and the way he fought was yeah. all action, all the time, really endeared him to the American TV audience. And I think that's what blew him up when you get to the Morales fight where they start putting him on national TV. He's fighting in Youngstown in front of thousands of his people. And it was just great TV at the time. Boom, boom versus dynamite. And at the time, he's ranked 10th, and it looks like there's a hype machine going on. And Kelly fights. And when he fights Morales, uh, a good fighter, uh, he's, he's dominating this fight. He's throwing punches nonstop. Uh, he's adding a little bit on the outside, but then immediately charges in uh, body punches, head punches, the left hook. Uh, this is a really smart fighter. I don't think I think because of the lack of things like ATML going into the fight, I think people thought, well, Mancini really doesn't have the experience, the training, and stuff like that. He looks like a really well-trained fighter. Uh, he doesn't look like he should be number ten. And in fact, he completely jumped from number ten. Uh, he he completely dominated Morales until he got the TKO. I think the uh, eighth round and stuff. Uh, uh, it's it's a, a fun fight to watch, but uh, but again, at this point, the, the 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 skeptics are in on Mancini, and he's proven the skeptics wrong. Yeah, and I think the thing that really got the skeptics was when he fought Jose Luis Ramirez, who was a very good fighter. Mancini beat him on a 12-round unanimous decision, and, I mean, it was easy. He won pretty much every round. The the fight was televised by CBS. They fought it in Warren, Ohio, close to Youngstown. The place was packed. The TV ratings were great. And the next thing you know, through this fight, all of a sudden, Ramirez was ranked fourth, Mancini was seventh going in, and after winning the fight against Ramirez, Mancini signs the fight WBC lightweight champion and the legendary Alexis Arguello. Well, if you say anything about Ramirez, I think it's the 
the disappointment as an American of getting to see him fight. I mean, he's just a, he's the Mexican lightweight champion, 54 and two, only lost two fights, knocked down Alexis Aguero, Aguero, and then lost his decision. So he's this terrific fighter based on on what we hear, but we don't get to see him. And we don't get to see him once before on American television. He looks so great. And then Mancini won every round against Ramirez. So um, and, and Ramirez. He's so non-showing any kind of, uh, of facial expression or anything. And he's also not really, not really doing anything to Mancini dominating him. He's going into the 12th round. Like, Mancini's still charging at him at this point. You think, Mancini, you know, hey, you know what? This guy's got a knockout punch. He's knocked out 47 out of 52. Maybe you got to take it easy in the 12th round. Mancini doesn't. Mancini goes after him the whole time. But, uh, but yeah, it's a tremendous victory on record. It's just a shame that the Jose Luis Ramirez that Mexican is about to see, Americans didn't see the same guy. We saw a guy that Mancini beat up seemingly pretty easily. Yeah, and the thing that's amazing about this is really the Ramirez fight, Morales a little bit, maybe the fight against Norman Goins at the felt forum. I think that was the fight that really got people's attention because Goins had been a really good amateur fighter. But – he gets yeah. the shot against Arguello, and the thing that's amazing is July 19th is when he beat Ramirez. By October 3rd, he's on CBS fighting Alexis Arguello for the title. The big question is, was he rushed into this too soon? Well, I think it's because I think, in a sense, he, he wouldn't have been, other than he looks so tremendous in those past two fights. So, so good that uh, it was already uh, – Speculated that you know, the, the winner of Mancini and Ramirez would fight Arguello, but I think a lot of people thought Ramirez was going to fight. Um, but Mancini looked so great, and the popularity was there, and Mancini wanted to do it. Um, kind of, why not? Until you see Alexis Arguello and forget what a great, what a great boxer he is, and just the, the little shifts he's doing is just making it a little, making it difficult for Mancini to land quite as clean as he was against the other two, um, who weren't chumps. But uh, Alexis Arguello, there's a difference between a, a great fighter, a champion, and a legend. And and Arguello, Arguello is in that category. He's also a real class act. Uh, so Mancini seemingly is holding his own with Arguello. I'm not sure. They're even after 10 rounds, but I'm not sure that uh, I'm watching this. You know, Arguello's really fighting smart um, until he starts, Arguello starts dominating to and uh, finally gets the knockout on Mancini. But uh, it, 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 it's a fun fight to watch, but also it's a really good uh, lesson learned considering that was Mancini's only loss before the championship. So in a sense, he wasn't just being thrown to the wolves. Uh, he wanted this fight, and he and uh, he, he needed to learn. I think he needed to fight in Alexis Arguello uh, before he became champion. Yeah, and really until the twelfth round knockdown, the fight was at least within shouting distance, so to speak, for him. Oh yeah. And the other thing that strikes me is, even though this was a loss for Mancini, I think this fight did more for his career than it did for any other fight he had. And I'll also Absolutely. make this case. I think that Alexis Arguello, this fight, really endeared him to the American public. The way he handled himself after the yeah. fight made everybody love Alexis Arguello. That was really touching. He, he, he hugged Mancini and said, you know, I'm, I'm there for you if you need anything. I know the story, the backstory about your father, you're fighting for your father. That touches me as a fighter and as a human being. And you're right, that... That it's sometimes you want to cut the fight at the end. Now this one you want to go a little farther, and it is. Alex Arguello, such a class act. I, I, you know, I always know that as a boxer, as a person, but it's when you see it again that you're reminded of, of the sadness of his suicide. And, and, and I don't want to remind the sadness of suicide. I want to remind myself of this guy right here against Mancini, who outboxed the guy. Uh, I would have hated for this thing to go to a decision. Mancini win. 
I'm glad Arguello got the knockout in the sense it was a great learning lesson for Mancini. And Alexis Arguello, that's the number one class act. Yeah, because that's one where I was cheering big time for Mancini. And I always oh, yeah, liked Arguello, but this put Arguello through the roof for me because it really showed what kind of a man he was and not just as a boxer. That is, and to, you know, I can, I can respect Roberto Duran, who says, I cannot come down from the, the hyperness of how I feel that fast after a fight. People get mad at what I say and do because I'm still in that zone. Alexis Arguello seemed to come out of that zone really fast. Uh, and, and immediately embraced Mancini. And it didn't look like he was playing performance. He looked like a, he came across as genuine, and the cameras are there. He knows the camera's going to be there. There was a genuine moment, and, and, and in a sense, it's nice that we got to share that moment uh, with these two boxers. Yeah, and less than a year later, he fights Arturo Frias for the WBA title. In between there, he beat Julio Valdez. He won a couple nondescript fights just to kind of put him back on the map. And then he gets to fight Frias for the title. And the thing about this fight, you know, is the fact that even though it's only one round, it's a great round. It is. And we talk about, you know, the water things, Hearn, Cattle, only three rounds. You and I have said Cooney Foreman. That's a hell of a two-round fight. This is about as good uh, a Mancini and uh, uh, Frias. This is about as great a one-round fight as ever exists. Uh Frias gets the immediate, you know, uh, uh, hard punches. I mean, Sine looks like he's in trouble, a little bit of wobble. And then Sine keeps fighting, and they're just duking it out, which is probably not the smart way for Frias to fight, but also he's a pride in champion. Frias also had a hard punch, and he knew he had Mancini hurt early. And, you know, he went for it. And uh, and it's, it's a tremendous one-round fight. Unfortunately, in the record book, for, for Frias, it just looks like a, a first-round knockout loss. And for Mancini... Knockout win one round, but but what a one round! Uh, it's a one rounder that if you, if you don't like this one round of boxing, you don't like boxing. Yeah, because like twenty thirty seconds into this fight, they have an exchange in the center of the ring, and Frias hits Mancini with a left hook to the chin, if I remember right, and it looked like Mancini was in trouble, and then all of a sudden they just both just start wailing on each other, and Mancini yeah, suffered Mancini. a cut on his left eyelid also. He has Mancini so wobbled twice, uh, and that, that, that and memories play tricks on all of us. That actually later in the, in the announcers they they mentioned that uh, that Mancini had been knocked down twice by Arguello and Frias, but Frias didn't knock Mancini down. It's just it almost he had Mancini in trouble. Uh, but yes, in, in one round a lot happens, and, and Frias does have Mancini in trouble. Mancini stays in and, and dukes it out, and then he got Frias in trouble. And then at that point, Frias. If you even can, you think about how backing away or doing something. But I don't know. It all happens pretty fast. And then he pounces on him fast, has him in the rope, starts landing a million punches, and it was a good stoppage. Yeah, and the thing about Mancini's career, unlike what you see today, was the fact that if you look back to, like, September of 1980, he fought Johnny Summerhays. October of 80, he fights Bobby Plague. Um, December of 80, Kelvin Lampkin. Eight days later... He fought Marvin Ladson. Then he fights Norman Goins in March. So he had like a five-month layoff. But then in April, he fights Al Ford. Al Ford was a decent fighter. Jorge Morales, one month later. Two months later, he's fighting Ramirez. Two and a half months later, he fights Arguello. And then in 1982, he fought Valdez January 23rd. He beats Frias in May. He's defending his title eight weeks later against Ernesto Espana. Espana was a very good fighter who got a lot of help 
you know, from the WBA yeah, to get a bunch of title shots. Really, he was considered actually sort of the number one contender. He was supposed to be fighting him uh, before uh, our, uh, before um, Prius, but uh, he had an injury. So it was sort of the Mancini fight that didn't happen. So there was still a lot of hype when uh, Espana fought Mancini. And then you kind of forget that as time moves on because Mancini dominated him, scored a knockout. So because he did that, you almost forget that, hey, this was this was supposed to be, even like Ramirez, this was supposed to be a more competitive fight than it turned out. And, and the fact that Mancini won them and dominated doesn't change the fact that the opponent was very good or that it was an overhyped match. Uh, Mancini simply simply proving that this hike is a hike um, and that he's, he's, he's a great fighter. As I said, he's very little criticized. He's winning nearly every round. He's certainly putting forth effort. Uh, he's not taking on chumps. Uh, I mean, the, the number one contender, who, who else is he supposed to fight? Um, and, uh, and looking great um, in, the, in the process. Yeah, and the thing about this fight is it was fought close to his hometown, and I think it was in his hometown, actually, but it, it might have been War. I think it was a high school football field in Warren, Ohio, which was 10 miles from his hometown. And 20,000 fans paid up to $50 a pop. And this is in an area where unemployment was approaching 20 to 25%. And the thing about this fight that really stuck out to me for people to think that Mancini was overrated is if you look at the first two rounds, I mean, Mancini executed a counter jab to perfection, and, you know, it, it ended up with uh, him yeah. lifting Espana and his guard up, and then came to hooks from all over the place. And Mancini landed at a ratio of probably two to one at first, and that seemed yeah. to increase with each round. And he was a high-volume puncher, but he did it with some substance. No, I think also, you know, he, he would throw a tremendous amount of uh, punches uh, in, in, in a round. He could throw easily over 30 to 40, in the 30 to 40 punch range, landing them in one round, which is just astounding. I mean, that's, you know, that's more than, uh, what, one every two seconds uh, that you're landing, not just throwing. And, uh, and, and the one thing that's really underrated, because, and it still stays underrated, because as much as we see Mancini, we still don't get exactly a feeling of why he's trained so well, because... He has such good instincts of land going at the body, and then the moment the guard goes down on somebody, he'll go to the head. He does it. He'll go inside and outside. His instincts are phenomenal. He, he seems like he's much better trained than than what would be led to believe. Uh, and so he he goes into these fights physically in great shape, but mentally he knows what to do. Something happens. He he appears that he's not a counterpuncher because he's so aggressive, but he is actually still reacting to what's happening to him. And he's cognizant of the ring. Um, this is a very, very put-together fighter, considering, again, when he talks about fights like that, he couldn't afford to even go to that place, that, that football stadium down the line, he didn't really have a lot of money. It didn't sound like he has the greatest resources you know, when he was earlier in his career. And yet he, he always is a really well-trained, smart fighter. Forget whether you like him as a human being or not. Uh, he's a hell of a fighter. Yeah, and next up, a few months later, November the 13th, I believe it was, 1982, the fight against Dooku Kim. And Kim was ranked number one, but that was by the WBA. I remember they used to rank, you know, a Korean number one in every division to get beat up all the time. But Kim was different. And the thing about this fight, we'll get into some of the backstory, everything yeah. that happened there. But this was a great fight. 
it was a great fight, and 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 I can only tell the audience out there that I want to be tough like everybody else, like on the referee when I have to be. Um, there, there are fights with referees, lots of fights, right? So you know what? They let it go too long. They made mistakes, blah, blah, blah. But Kim, Kim went in there and fought a tremendous fight. Uh, he, he was grasping with Mancini. Uh, Mancini seemed to be starting to take the advantage on him, and he'd come back. Uh, this was a war. It's probably Mancini's best fight, except for well, but probably the best opponent that he had uh, up to that time. Uh, and, and we'll get into everything else, but there, this fight, there was nothing for the referee to do. The referee did a great job. There was, there was not a lot for him to even get in the middle of the two fighters. Uh, uh, a little bit with uh, Kim for a little blows and, and wanting to hold a little bit, but not bad. Um, and uh, there's nothing, nothing to indicate there's a problem until after the fight. Yeah, and this fight was tragic all around, and that tragedy lasted for like a year even. Kim's mother committed suicide by drinking pesticide January 29th, 1983. Richard Green, who refereed the Mancini Kim fight, committed suicide by shooting himself in the head July 1st, 1983. This was so bad that Bob Arum, the promoter of the fight, called for the suspension of professional boxing for a few months while a blue ribbon panel, probably headed up by him, um, basically studied the safety in the ring for boxers. And it ended up, it had the effect that, you know, fights eventually went to being 12 rounds at most instead of the 15-round distance. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the, the thing is, I, I can respect it sort of at the same time that Howard Cosell, who, when he watched uh, um, Cobb versus Holmes for a championship fight, said, I'm not even going to pretend it's a championship fight. This is, this is outrageous. And there are, again, so many fights where the referee deserves criticism, or at least you should put them out. I remember Green was giving tremendous criticism, huge criticism. I didn't really watch this fight for years because I thought, I don't really want to watch a, a, a gory fight like this. And yet, and now I watch it several times. It's a hell of a fight, a great fight. And there's really nothing to criticize on Green. And Mike, you know that if I could jump on this referee, even if he's committed suicide, I would jump all over him. You know, the Pritchard Coleman, Terrell Williams fight. I want to strangle that referee. He did such an awful job in that fight. But I don't see anything that Green could have done. I, I don't see any point that it's obvious that Green could step in and stop this fight. Yeah, because Kim was in the fight all the way. And they both would get hurt. They both would come back. And, I mean, Dooku Kim was a badass. And nobody knew that oh, going into was. the fight. But that on he, that day, yeah. Dooku Kim. During the fight, the Chicago would have faked number one he is going in. No way. During the fight, everyone's saying, you know, uh, and, and you have to watch it yourself and say, you know, this guy's a legitimate fighter against Mancini. And again, except for our, our Alexis Arguello, this is the best opponent Mancini had ever faced. Yeah. And then altogether, until you get to the end when Mancini was old, it might have been the best one because Dooku Kim was a tough dude. Right. And you had what? What's your opinion on shortening title fights to twelve rounds off of this? Well, in a sense, uh, you know, fights used to go in Jack Johnson say twenty rounds. Uh, you you alter your strategy based on it, so there is going to be more fighting than if you think it's going to go a lot longer because you just you're actually going to coast, you know, let a few rounds where you don't fight and stuff like that. I don't know if it's such a bad thing to go from fifteen to twelve, although. I wish it wasn't done solely based on this fight because I'm not sure. Yeah, sure. And now in retrospect, now that we know the man's going to die, it's better that he didn't take any punches in the 13th and 14th round. That's true. But I still think that uh, if you wanted to base it on 
uh, other fights, then uh, I'd, I'd be more okay about it. This seems like the public is outraged. In my lifetime, there's been a lot of boxers that have died before, before during my lifetime, before, and, and after I'm dead, those boxers are going to die in the ring. This one, but it's a man too. It took on height of its own. It took on a tremendous, tremendous amount of. Well, remember this also, it. though. Uh, just a few weeks before this, Arguello fought prior. And that was one where the referee oh, yeah. probably should have jumped in oh, quicker. And Arguello was. almost died in that fight. Yeah, so he, he he shivered on the ground. It was that that was awful. Now that's something that's one that that would deserve more, um, you know, more consideration of of. Well, see, that's kind of what I'm saying, you know. If you look at that time, I think it was Cleveland Denny who died at the hands of Gaytown Hart in a fight. You had Willie Klassen who died when he fought, I think it's 79 or 80, against Wolfred Sipian. So I don't think it was necessary. I think that just fight was just the tipping point, if you know what I mean. I guess you're right, because, again, the Costello thing was obviously something that was built up in his mind before he actually quit boxing, professional boxing. Uh, but but it exploded, and, and, and obviously, had it been some other fighter besides Mancini, I think it would have exploded, but I don't know if the rules would have changed. Um, I think you, when you have that kind of attention, it, it brings in both good and bad, and I, as I said, I, I, I don't get hurt by Let's say this, if nothing else, that changing championship fights from 15 rounds to 12 rounds, now that it's been forever that way, I don't think I should hurt boxing. It, it may have... Um, Altered a couple boxer strategy and, and as far as you know how they, they deal with endurance, but but when all said and done, if nothing else, it didn't hurt boxing. Did it actually save boxers' lives? Now I don't know about that at all. I was I, I can't I, I can't say that, that this has saved boxers' lives. I can only say I don't think it's hurt boxing as a sport. Well, I, I think this. I think it's hurt it because I think we've seen a lot of fights where if it's a 15 round fight, you get a different winner. I mean, hell, if you go back to 1981. If Leonard Hearns won is a 12-round fight, Tommy Hearns probably wins. It changes the history of everything. Well, it does. It also, it also with that fight, you say, well, does Leonard just piss away the first five rounds? Um, I mean, he's done doing it in a 15-round fight. But, but, I, but I know what you mean, that, that it has altered things. And, and clearly, there's now going to be champions who weren't champions. It does alter things. Well, how about like this, Chris? I, I don't think that. I don't think Leonard pissed the first five rounds away. I think Leonard got in the ring with Hearns and expected that he was just fighting a power puncher. And what he learned was Tommy Hearns was a really good boxer. He may have underestimated Tommy Hearns, certainly as a boxer, but it also looks like Sugar Ray Leonard doesn't look. He doesn't look like Sugar Ray. He doesn't look like he's, he's like he's being. Hey, like you know, you're losing another round. You're losing another round. Uh, it looks like, and all of a sudden the rounds are, you know, going against you. He's, I think he's down five nothing, you know, after the first five rounds, and it, and it doesn't look like Sugar Ray Leonard. And then he looks like a different Sugar Ray Leonard than we've ever seen. He knocked out Hearns. He looks like just this aggressive, wild tiger that's the Sugar Ray Leonard that's the legend. But uh, but I don't know what would happen in a twelve round fight against Thomas Hearns, other than um, um, other than I imagine Hearns would fight the way he fought, no matter what. I'm not sure if Sugar Ray Leonard would be the same Sugar Ray Leonard if it was 12 or 15. I'm not saying he wouldn't be. I'm well, I, I look at sure. it like this, too. A fight like the Thriller in Manila. If that's just a 12-round yeah. fight, Ali wins a pretty, not easy, but he wins a decision probably 8-4. to four. Instead, you well, throw in the 13th and 14th rounds, and you get a Rocky movie. No, and also, I think, well, I think actually, yeah. 
You may do things different on that one, which is fine. That's why you have like three judges too. Um, I'm kind of glad I went 15 because if it stopped after 12, there'd be a lot of people that say, hey, Frazier won that fight. Not Ali. Come on. There's a huge controversy. Um, and, and by throwing that extra couple rounds, a 13th round is the one that started. All of a started dominating Frazier uh, heavily and completely. And the 14th round, um, Frazier can continue and finish the 15th round. So you have a knockout finish between that rivalry. And I think finally, you have no question, uh, that, was, that was the way this rivalry should end. And had it ended after 12 rounds, I think you have an excellent chance of an Ollie win and tremendous controversy from Joe Frazier fans. All right, and then just two and a half months later, Mancini's back in the ring in Italy against George Feeney. He wins a unanimous decision on NBC. Boring fight. Mancini, to yeah. me, was Feeney never was the same after the Dooku Kim fight. I agree. Mancini already doesn't look the same. He's fighting a guy that, you know, Americans, you know, we're not nice about these things, but I'm not sure Feeney gets the kind of, you know. He, Feeney did look okay sort of in the later round and blah, blah, blah. But Mancini, Feeney, Feeney right. was Someone just a guy. He, he was average. Yeah, and, but, but Mancini doesn't look the same. Mancini doesn't look, he, he almost looks, I don't know, a glassy eye or, or he just doesn't look like the aggression is there. The, the, the same Mancini that we see, you're right. That Mancini could never exist again, and, and, and because of maybe other reasons too, but, but certainly coming off this one fight, um, and then Mancini can say for the rest of my career, and then all i got to hear is I don't know how many times to tell people what they want to hear about Kim. You know, I feel bad about it. I, I feel this about it. I feel bad about it. And then it's never enough. No matter what happens, I get asked another question about this fight. Um, and, and so you're right. He does look a, a little bit like a zombie against Feeney. And then he has to be a little bit careful because it wasn't a title fight. But, but Feeney starts, you know, picking it up here in the later rounds. Uh, Mancini certainly won an easy decision, but uh, but but I'm kind of glad he took on a chump. Not a chump, but he took on somebody that's inferior because uh, Mancini would have been in real trouble to be taking on uh, a real serious fight at that particular moment. Yeah, and next up, Mancini on June 17, 1983, was there when Roberto Duran defeated Davy Moore to win the WBA Junior Middleweight Championship. After the fight, Mancini told his manager, "I have to fight here." Now, the backstory is Mancini's father, Lenny Mancini, lost an eight-round decision to Rocky Castellani at Madison Square Garden in 1947. One of the reasons that Mancini wanted to fight at Madison Square Garden, his first defense was in, I believe it was September of that year, and he fought Orlando Romero, who there's some similarities here with Kim because the WBA ranked Romero number one. Romero was 30-0-1 with 12 knockouts. He never fought anybody outside of... Peru. Sorry, I think I said Colombia, but it was outside yeah. of Peru. He was a huge underdog. And I think this is where you see that Mancini's slipping from what happened before because this fight was a lot tougher and closer than it, people expected. It ended suddenly in the ninth when Mancini put Romero down for the count with a left hook to the chin. But I think here that it is obvious it that is. this is not the same Mancini. It, it was ultimately a one round, uh, a one punch knockout with a uh, ninth round. I think Romero did fight a really tough fight. I also think that you forget what somebody brings to the table, just like we did with Kent. He brings in the, the people of Peru, his entire country on the line, Madison Square Garden. I thought Romero fought tremendous under the situation. I don't think yeah. he's ever, ever, ever felt like Mancini was in trouble losing, but I thought Romero fought maybe above his head. And I think it's strange that Madison Square Garden didn't sell out. Uh, for this fight, but it's probably because they underestimated Romero so much. And I just think that you had a tough opponent that Mancini took seriously, 
and that, uh, and then when he had the opportunity, a one punch, you know, just put Romero out. But I, I think, uh, I think Romero deserves maybe more credit than than people want to give him before and after the fight. I, I thought he fought a tremendous fight. I think he did his country proud. He did Crew proud of, of of facing down Mantini, and he simply thought that he was better. And uh, and I think uh, if he looked at it, I think it was bad because it's not. I don't think it was bad. I just think that maybe the expectations on Mancini were were that he should even knock this guy out earlier and stuff like that. So well, you, you know, know the interesting nice thing. You know the interesting thing about Romero. It's the only time he ever fought out of Peru. Was oh, really, for the title. I knew, he had a few records. He didn't really have a, a knockout punch at least based on the numbers. Yeah, he, he was five and two in his last seven fights after the Mancini fight. And he beat, I mean, he fought, uh, I mean, basically guys that were 21 and 16. He lost to a guy that was 13 and 12. Um, he finished his career losing to a guy that was 8, 3, and 1. So, I mean, this was a guy that was put there. But on that one night, he fought as well as he possibly could have. Exactly. I, I still, I agree. I agree that he, he, he did himself proud, his family proud, his country proud. And he simply got knocked out by a better fighter who who wasn't facing a chunk. He was facing at least somebody that deserves consideration. Uh, uh, having, letting letting Americans see him. Letting 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 us see this guy fight. And I saw the guy fight, and I thought, you know, that's, that's a good fighter. Yeah. Uh, and and was better. I don't think that he was ever in danger. He's still the right. Not in a sense that Mancini. That but you know a lot of guys forget the the death of Kim. A lot of guys are never exactly the same after they win the championship as they were before and winning it. Um, that's that's that could be that's very common. Um, and and so uh, there could be other factors going on, man. Too. You know, everybody wants something. Now he's a huge star beyond you know beyond anything you dream about. There's one thing to dream about, saying There's another thing to get it and then get it at such a and at such a level that that's different than just somebody else uh, who has uh, a fame, but. But it's not quite the same thing. A height machine on Mancini, it's hard for me again to go back and look at boxes over the years and say how many people have that behind them, except I think Mancini legitimized uh, that height. All right. So next up, he fought Johnny Torres, which was a non title fight. He knocked Torres out in the first round, and he undercarded a Holmes Marvis Frazier first round knockout in November. And then January the 14th, 1984. He, this was one of my favorite fights because these are two of my favorite fighters of all time. Ray Mancini, Mancini against Bobby Chacon. Chacon, of course, was coming off of the upset win over Cornelius Boza Edwards. And in a sport that's haunted by the specter of tragedy, it's really ironic that this fight was even allowed to happen because I think Mancini was just too big for Chacon. But Chacon went to war with him and... You know, it, this was Man, a great a fight. Warm. It was a great one-sided See, now, fight. Now, Man CD finally built himself to a point where he was such a favorite that actually Chacon had more, a little bit more of the audience uh, on his side, you know, the underdog and stuff. When he fought Tories, the fight before for the, the tune-up fight, uh, Tories is kind of easy to watch because Tories looks like he sort of wants to stay in there with Man CD a little bit. He thinks, you know what? I'm not going to fight this guy. <laughs> and he kind of lets himself get knocked out in the first round. Uh, yeah, it was a war, you know, for, for How about this? I, I think this was a bad stoppage, Joe. When you watch the fight, the last four punches, yeah. I mean, Mancini hits him, and I think it's Richard Steele just kind of drops his head, 
and lowers his arms, and then Mancini three, swings three wild punches and misses all three, and then Steele moves in and stops the fight. It, it was a it was a tough process. The fans didn't like it. Chacon didn't like it. But um, I'll, I'll defend Steele in the sense in the, that Mancini did look pretty dominant, you know, for up to the time of the knockout, uh, other stoppage, and Steele had really faced a tremendous amount of criticism. I mean, uh, just so much criticism that was unfair. I mean, the. There's, there's, there's times where there's some people on one side and some on the other side. And, again, if the referee did the wrong thing, yeah, and I would count all over it. I don't think there's anything wrong with the Kim fight, but it's all over on him that he's the one because he lets things go too long. You can't help but watch Mason to come and think, yes, Kunti is a good, a good effort, but Mason is dominating these things. And how long do you, how long do you keep this thing going before you, you stop it? Um, maybe you do let it go another round or two. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the man who, in that moment, has to make that decision. It didn't look to me like uh, when all said and done, it hurt boxing that that they stopped it. I'm not sure I saw anything that that said <clears throat> it's here. Tom was being dominated, but but I do understand that it's the way the fight was going to end either way. We could have let it go another another round or so. I do believe, and it probably would have gone another round if not for what happened previous. I believe. All right, so next up, five months later, he fights Livingstone Bramble. They called him to Pitbull. The thing I remember about this is the lead-up to the fight, Bramble would say the craziest crap imaginable trying to get into Mancini's head. And then I also remember this was on Cat Sports. I remember watching it, and they called it the Cat's Night of Upsets because Gene Hatcher, Mad Dog Hatcher, who I've had on the show before, upset Another guy who I've had on the show who recently passed away, Johnny Bumpus, in the 11th round. And this was in front of 14,500 spectators at Buffalo's Memorial Auditorium. And this is a fight where Marty Dinkin stopped the fight, I think, at the right time. And the thing that's really amazing is two of the three judges had Mancini ahead at the time of the stoppage. Well, what's disappointing to me about the fight is just in the first round, it was very heavy headbutt between the two of them. Mancini gets the worst of it. He's bloody and injured right away. I guess he can't stop a fight uh, of, of that magnitude, but I almost wish he could have because uh, Mancini was, was in trouble right from the get-go. Now, Lindsey Randall, there's nothing to suggest. They're just both being aggressive and smash heads, uh, so there's nothing to, to really uh, punish Randall about. But nonetheless, Mancini got the worst of it and it stayed with him. Uh, throughout that fight, but the cut only got worse and worse. And now, Mancini, especially what happened later on, all of a sudden, Mancini, I never really thought of him being a, like a, uh, a cutter, you know, like a buddy. Bleeder. He's yeah. getting cut in two fights, a bleeder. But he, he, he's a bleeder in this fight because of what happened in the first round. It's unfortunate, but it's not Bramble's fault. He's not doing anything wrong. And that's uh, kind of interesting that Bramble really wants to fight an inside battle. And Mancini must fight a little more from the outside when going into the fight. He kind of thought it might be a little bit bigger because the Bramble's you know, tremendous height and reach advantage. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's a decent fight. But since you let it go, uh, then, yeah, Bramble starts to, to pick up and dominate and fight and stop just as Mancini's about to hit the ground. In fact, the only reason it's not a knockdown is because they called it a half a second you know, earlier than, 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 the, than Mancini hits the ground. Um, it was a good stoppage, but I think it's unfortunate that that the first round uh, that headbutt, and I do think it, it mandated another fight, which I do think gives Winston Bramble more credibility. Not that he did anything wrong in the first bout, 
it's just it's just an awful thing to have Mancini lose that great ride, really over a head bite in the first round. Yeah, and then we had to rematch. Fight two. Do you think this fight was as close as the judges said? I don't believe so. I fact, I, I yeah, the outcome fight where a couple of judges. This is just a one round difference, uh, and and either way. And, and I don't think there's anything to take away this title from Lucy Brandle. Uh, it, 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 it's not that Mancini's not hanging in there and fighting bravely, but Mancini, you could have stopped this fight with, less, with little controversy a couple couple times uh, because he's leading so bad. He gives him a head button, and then after that, he's hitting his guy, which he's supposed to do. Um, I think if he could have been stopped a couple times, it wasn't. It allowed him to go to distance. Mancini begged no one, basically, when, you know, please let me finish this. You know, there's not much time left. And, and they're going, all right, all right. So it's it, it, it courageous just that Mancini got through the entire fight. But yeah, that, that, that one round could have been taken away and that and that uh, Mancini would have been given the title. That would have been unfortunate for Livingston Brandle. And that would have given credibility to the hype machine. That would have been one where I would have said, you know what, I think Mancini's popularity gave me this one. So um, um, it, 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 it was very more than fair decision to let Brandle keep his title. Well... The other thing here that was funny was Bramble mentioned the fact that he wasn't too happy before the fight with the media for making him out to be some kind of loony. He made this comment after after he just sparred two rounds with a pair of chickens, shadowboxed one round with a newly purchased Burmese python named Turtle, and spent one round punching soap bubbles blown from a red pipe by his latest trainer, Nell Brown. Yeah, the other, the other thing about Bramble is after this fight, he's a terrible fighter. I mean, he has a, a losing record. He has a record of something like 9-19. and 19. Um, uh, he, he gets knocked down in the second round to lose his title. Uh, he, 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 the, how, how he went from being the champion to really a poor fighter, um, and you're right, there's a character in there. Um, and he wanted to be a character. He put himself out there to be a character. And he was made to be a character. I think he is a character. Well, I think this, though, the the other thing you got to remember about Bramble, um, I think he was a hell of a fighter in 1984. And if you look at his career from the Mancini, I think he beat Edwin Curette. He beat Mancini again. He beat Tyrone Crawley. He lost to Rosaria. Rosaria is a good fighter. He drew with Freddie Pendleton. He beat Edwin Curette again. He lost to Pendleton. So I, I think... 84-85 84-85 is what he fought Mancini. I think it's safe to say his career was past his prime by the time you get to the early 90s. I mean, he beat Harold Brazier, who was a tough fighter from Indiana in 89. And then the thing you get is this. When you look at his record, and the reason I know this is because I interviewed him, and he lost, like, hell, was it 15 of his last 20 fights, which makes his record look bad. But in that, you've got a fight against Obakar, which was a split decision. Charles Murray, a close decision. Roger Mayweather, he lost by disqualification. Um, Costa Zoo, he went the distance of Costa Zoo in Newcastle. Um, Buddy McGirt, he lost a fairly close decision. And then after 94, it just kind of goes to hell. Because after 94, he's got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 2, 7, 8, 9, 3... Yeah, he finished his career like 3-17, and 17. but that's after 1994, which is a decade after Mancini. I think it's just he needed the money, and he hung around to get paid. That, that could be, and I also give Randall credit on this, that 
that, you know, no one could blame him if he fought me in Phoenix from a distance just using his reach. Um, honestly, that would have been a smart thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. The fans would have hated it. He didn't. He was really aggressive with Mancini, and he did want to fight with them. And so I give Bramble credit that he could have just – I think it would be a guarantee would have boxed, just boxed him from a distance would have guaranteed a victory. There's no guarantee of victory against Mancini. But, but you expect him to do that, and that he did the unexpected. He switched to Southpaw, and he didn't switch to Southpaw for like one round or two. Uh, he, the first fight, he did it for probably more than half the fight. Uh, and he did it unexpectedly. He did it smart. And sometimes it almost seems like a stunt to, to switch, you know, to the right hand to a southpaw. But it didn't. It looked like Ramble really was um, using it wisely and taking a shooting at his moment. Uh, his corner obviously helping him. And um, I think, except the, the headbutt in the first round of the first fight is just so unfortunate. But I think there's just, it was an awesome takeaway of Ramble's title. Now, Boxing goes on, and Mancini would have been popular champion. People would have been happy, but when all said and done, um, the right guy got the decision in the second fight. All right, and then Mancini takes three or four years off. He comes back to fight Hector Macho Camacho, which, when you watch this fight, neither one are what they used to be. Um, Camacho was a three-to-one favorite. Mancini was, of course, the crowd favorite. This is a bad fight. I mean, this was a boring fight until it seemed like Camacho got tired. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into an unsightly fight as Camacho stopped running and started tying Mancini up. And this is a fight that I don't really have an opinion on who won because I don't think anybody really did anything to win. Well, i got to tell you that, that, that I found it a very exciting fight, but, but I also found it very, extremely frustrating because Mancini's aggressive throughout the fight and Camacho is being smart as far as he's backing, not necessarily bicycling, but backing and then really just a very crisp when he lands one or two punches before backing away. They're very crisp, but um, uh, I disagree with the consensus that going into the 15th round, Camacho clearly got this thing and he just needs to hang on because that's what he's doing. By by the 10th round or so, he's holding Mancini nonstop. Um, this is ridiculous. That yeah, it was a 12 round fight, if I remember away, right, Chris. A couple points away from from Camacho. Hmm? It was a 12 round fight, well, if anyway. I remember right. Yeah. Oh, 12 round. I'm sorry. You're right. It was a 12 round fight, and but but you're right. But, and then I'll say by the eighth round because he was holding for several rounds. Yeah, he, I actually I actually had Mancini out. winning the fight just because of the way the last four rounds I went. I, I would agree with Mancini. I thought that that Camacho at best was looking like a smart guy that he is, but I'm not sure he's actually doing enough to actually win rounds. Mancini's injured him, injured him in the fourth round. And, uh, you know, land a couple other power punches on Camacho. Camacho never really landed anything hard on Mancini. All Camacho did was look intelligent as far as his acting process. He looks like he's, uh, he is a smart fighter, but I don't think he's really doing enough to win rounds. And that uh, uh, I was more than – and it was all the holding. Now, that's, that is Alito, um, that he's, he's clearly uh, manipulating the system. And I would have been happy with Mancini. I did find him to be an exciting fight, but I also found it to be frustrating and that Kamacho didn't want to engage and didn't and that I think that Kamacho was a good sport because he and Mancini, especially Kamacho, Kamacho was a lot of trash talk and, and Kamacho's a character and he's, he's a great fighter but a lot of people hate him um, and I can understand hating him through this fight based on the way he's based on the way his strategy but his strategy gave him the victory um, but I would I've been giving the decision to Mancini um, and, uh, and I do Credit Camacho, right, except for the holding. The holding's dirty, and, and quite frankly, the one should have stopped, and the point should have started being deducted from him. 
All right. Then he takes a few more years off, and he comes back in 1992. Now, he'd only fought twice in seven years, and he took on Greg Haugen. Greg Haugen, solid fighter, definite pros pro. And I think the sad thing here is this is a sad ending. If he would have quit off the Camacho, you could say, ah, he thought he won. But this is a fight where it was clear from the start Mancini no longer had any snap to his punches. He didn't have any timing to land it. And Greg Haugen just bludgeoned him. And I think it's safe to say a 1982 Mancini beats the hell out of Greg Haugen. Greg Haugen also is taunted and teased and made fun of Mancini, which, you know, that's just, that's just awful to do to somebody. But, but it makes you feel better that the, the fight in the crowd I ever saw ever was in Mexico City when Haugen kicked on, uh, what do you call it, Chavez. Um, and now I feel sorry for Haugen now. I mean, after watching this fight, I don't feel sorry for him at all. He acted like a total jerk in this fight. Um, you know, that's, that's Haugen. You know, you are who you are. But uh, he, he not only dominated Mancini, but made fun of him. And, and it, it is touching when Mancini finally hits the ground. Mancini's doing everything to get up. He does get up on his feet. And the way Mel Lane hugs him, it's like, you know what? It's over. And it's going to be all right. But it's over. Uh, I really like the way he held Mancini, kind of, you know, letting him know that, you, that this, it's not the fight is over. Your career is over. And it's going to be okay. But, uh, you know, how does he jerk? But, uh, but maybe that's what made him a good fighter, too. I don't know. But, uh, well, I, I can tell you this. From from interviewing Greg Haugen, he can be slightly abrasive. But I think he's a yeah. dude that does it pretty much in fun. And I think that he was looking for a way to sell himself because this is the thing, no. He did set himself up in some big fights. And this is a guy that didn't have an amateur career. He basically fought tough men yeah. contests against guys that were 100 pounds bigger than him. So, yeah, I didn't like the well, way well, he... Wanted... Go ahead. I didn't like the way he did it, but I also want to say that, you know what, you bring who you are to the table, and maybe that's what made him who he is. People don't like the way Kamasa did things, but hey, Kamasa did great doing things his own way. So Hobbin had to be who he is. Um, that made him very successful. It, just, it looks ugly because uh, someone doing his fight, but again, that's maybe what he brings to the table, and, and he has a great fight, and, uh, and he's a good fighter. All right, final question before we wrap it up. Do you think Ray Mancini is a Hall of Famer? Way over the top Hall of Famer. Uh, this guy, he, 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 I didn't see really any flaws in his early fights and everything. He lost about like the Grand lost you know, in a character building fight. Uh, this guy's beyond a Hall of Famer. This guy's one of the great ones. And and quite frankly, if he if he simply stopped his career a little early, a lot more boxers if they have the ability to do it, and they don't. Mancini made money and obviously wasn't too reckless with it. Uh, and a lot of people aren't that way. They have to fight just like they said, family. They simply need the money. Uh, Mancini didn't just need the money. And, and I'm, I'm glad he didn't go out there. You know, you can peak early or you can peak later. And that's an all sports. There's football players, baseball players who peak a little bit later. Some who peak really early. Mancini peaked early. And he went out at, at the right time, except for that last fight. Um, uh, my question is this. Great. How is he a Hall of Famer? Do you think he's one of the greatest lightweight champions of all time? I do. I think I think that is a spectacular run that he had. I don't think he was facing chumps. I think he did anything. Who did, who did he beat that impressed you? Because to me, Art Frias is tough. Ernesto Espana, most everybody beat. Dooku Kim was a guy who hadn't beaten anybody. Orlando Romero was a guy who never beat anybody. Bobby Chacon was a blown-up fighter, and he got smacked twice by Bramble. I don't see how that's a Hall yeah, of Famer. 
But Ramirez, I mean, again, he did, because Rick uh, Nancy won so, so dominant, um, it, it's easy to say, well, that's another chump. But I don't think there's anything in Ramirez's uh, background going into that fight that suggests that there's a chump. Um, 54 and 2, only the loss against Arguelle, knocked Arguelle down. Um, this isn't a chump, um, but, but he looks like a chump. He doesn't look as good because Anthony looks so good. And I think Anthony, when he took on uh, what, uh, Esperanza, the, the, that was the number one um, uh, contender. And then and that fight had been delayed because of uh, a fun, uh, been delayed because of Fonny's injury. So Anthony was waiting for him and finally got around to fighting the afternoon champion and then beat him pretty easily. I think Anthony needs to be punished, not only because he wants so many fights easily, but I think that same, what they, what they call the hype machine, um, in this case, maybe hurts them. That, that there's a way of looking at it and saying, he got so much attention that other fighters didn't get. They all want to face Nancy because they wanted money. They want to fight money. And that, that could be used against him um, as well as it propelled him. But, it, but he was wearing, when he, two fights for a while, he could be wearing pants and people don't think he's really, you know, going to be what he is. I think he proved himself in front of all of us when we watched him on television. Uh, I think he had a hell of a great run. And, um, yeah, if, if he's in a Hall of Fame, then I go, well, I don't care about who goes in the Hall of Fame or doesn't. But, but I, I certainly think that he is nothing to be ashamed of. He had a great career, and it was not based on height. It was based on who served it. I, I, don't, I think he had a great career, too. But when I think of lightweights that are Hall of Famers, I, Ray Mancini does not stand out to me as being on the same level as Roberto Duran or Pernell Whitaker or Benny Leonard or any of those guys. Well, you, you could even even the I to me I believe you beat Camacho if if that simply turns out the way the judges rule what I see. Yeah, but this is the thing: they, he fought Camacho at one forty, which is above both their best weights. They were both older. Camacho was never the same after the fight against Rosario in 86. Um, Mancini was never the same after 83. I'm just saying for a Hall of Famer, I just don't know that there's enough depth on the resume. I think he could fight with about anybody. But let's put it like this. If he fights at 135 or 140 against Aaron Pryor, I think he gets butchered. Well, I'll I'll say this, and maybe it's not even a very good analogy because I wasn't sure what we're going to go on it. But also, it's about if you compare two baseball players, Thurman Munson versus Carlton Fisk. Well, Munson, you know, got himself banged up pretty early in his career. Fisk, Fisk got himself injured at the point that he didn't play as many games. So by the time their careers are over, now Fisk, uh, Munson died in the middle of his career. Um, Munson got banged up and couldn't have lasted much longer anyway. Uh, while Fisk went on to many more years, and, and, and Fisk easily goes in the Hall of Fame, and Thurman Munson doesn't go in the Hall of Fame. I think Thurman Munson deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think oh, come on, Thurman. Chris. I think I Chris, well, anyway, you can't go to a Hall of Fame opinion. off of one or two good years, and you can't go without being a complete player. Thurman Munson couldn't throw guys out. Defensively, he was not very good. And if you look at him, I mean, a Hall of Fame, he had three years where he had 100 RBIs. The most home runs he hit in a season was 20 in 1973. And for his career, Thurman Munson had 113 home runs, 700 RBIs with a batting average of 290. That's not a Hall of Fame catcher. Well, the Hall of Fame community agrees with you, and they didn't put him in. I said I think I would put him in, but obviously I'm in the minority, not only with you, but with the committee itself. And Mancini, what I see is a guy who, who 
didn't peak early. He peaked when he was ready, and I think he was a better fighter when he uh, went into that first fight with Morales and he ranked tenth. I think he was a much better fighter than people realize. He was already in, uh, had been better trained than people realize, and that uh, uh, he did what he was asked to do. And I think that, uh, in my opinion, uh, it was not a great run. It was a Hall of Fame run. If they don't want to put him in the Hall of Fame, then is Barry McGuigan is Barry McGuigan a Hall of Famer? Uh, well, I don't really know. I, I see, to me, the, the Hall of Fame is so... Uh, uh, just your opinion. It's, it's, I mean, I've, that's all I want is your opinion. Right. Uh, well, Mancini, I've, I've watched carefully over the last two, three weeks. And based on what I saw carefully over the last two, three weeks, I would say he was in. I would say before, before we did the interview, and you said, do I think Mancini would be in? I would say, I don't know. I would say... I remember enjoying his fights. I thought he did great. I don't know. But based on the last two, three weeks... But, but give me this. Team, what about Barry I, McGuigan? I Does, because well, I to me, Barry McGuigan, I don't think is a Hall of Famer either, but he has a better resume than Ray Mancini. For me, the better way to do these things is to study them before I, I make the decision because you, your impressions aren't going to be the same thing. Your, your impressions when you watch somebody... And then when you study somebody, it's different. And yeah, but remember this. Uh, my whole impression off of Barry McGuigan is he beat two great fighters. Mancini had never beat a great fighter, except for maybe Bobby Chacon, but that was well past Chacon's best. But when you've beaten well, Juan Laporte, he, he, good fighters emerge. Yeah, but I don't care about being good fighters because we're trying to be in the Hall of Fame. And when I look at well, it... Well, he beat Mexican fighters and Mexican style, and I think that's... What the hell? He beat... He beat Jose Luis Ramirez. And if we want to be honest, Jose Luis Ramirez's career was not very good. And when he lost the split decision to Arguello, before that, he had beaten and fought absolutely nobody. I don't care if he was 54-2 and two or not. There was no names on the resume. There was no ranked fighters that he beat. He was ranked because well, he was Mexican. But the reality, you also didn't get to see a lot of his fights. We don't know the Mexican fights. I don't want to that's see those fights guys. against guys that aren't very good, though. Well, I, uh, thought, he, I thought Mancini did really well against the Mexican side. I thought Mexican fighters really well. I think it's impressive. Um, well, how about this? Jose Luis Ramirez. If we go to Ramirez and we go all the way back to Mancini, this is what he did. This is why you didn't see it on TV. The guys he fought before Mancini and then after Arguello were 28 and 10, 11 and 10, 26 and 12, 19 and 9, and then he fought Arguello. Before the Arguello fight, to get his title shot against Arguello, Chris, for two years before that, yeah. the guys he beat were 8 and 6, 12 and 19, 0 oh and 3, 1 and 2, 5 and 6, and he beat a guy by the name of Vincente Mahares, who was 21 and 4. That got him a title shot. And if you go back through his record, I mean, you got Joe Gallardo, 0 and 1. That was his 50th fight. Um, he beat Jose Luis Castillo, 4-4 and 1. He beat a guy 7-7 and 1, 13 and 12, 0 and 3, 13 and 3, 26 and 17, pro debut. 2 and 2, 4 and 5, 11 and 15. There's nobody here, Chris. The only one that I see is Ruben Olivares. All right? And Ruben Olivares in, Ruben Olivares in 1978, not necessarily his prime, knocked out Ramirez. The, the, the lead-up and follow-up with Anthony getting to be champion, and after he was champion, he fought who he was supposed to fight. 
fighters. He fought the person that was named the champion. Uh, he didn't avoid anybody through that run. Um, and he did what was useful. He did what that one. And he looked better than what you would expect. Uh, he was so dominant in that run. All right, how about and, this, then? Um, Let's do it this way. Um, Orlando Romero should never have been the number one contender. Dooku Kim should have never been the number one contender. Ernesto Espana should have never been a number one contender. Hell, Livingstone Bramble didn't have the resume to be the number one contender. So to me, this was a WBA feeding him four guys he could beat as number one contenders so they could keep money on making money off of him. They just mis- question. They misunderstood the, the what Bramble could do. Promoting people, promoting people are number one that they deserve to be That's absolutely a legitimate um, uh concern about the organization. Uh, uh, I thought Ken, though, proved himself to be better than what we would have thought, uh, and that uh, if, if they, well, he only fought well against Mancini because he wasn't fighting a real fighter, well, I think he's a real fighter, and I think that Ken, you know, uh, I don't know if he's a legitimate number one or not, but I think he's a legitimate uh, contender uh, when all said and done. And, and again, Mancini fought who he's supposed to fight before Aguero, and then after Aguero, he fought the number one contender, um, and then, who knows, again, and, and, and the use of things, and the height, and the depth camp, uh, he, he didn't look the same thing when he fought Feeney. He, he did not look like the same fighter again. Against, against well, Cone, and, and the hand, other thing is this. Cone never should have fought Man Even on the other hand, he should have stopped the fight. Um, if you look at those number one contenders, though, Ernesto Espana did nothing after he got his shot. Dooku Kim, of course, couldn't. Orlando Romero did nothing, as we've already went through. And Livingstone Bramble beat him twice. And then you made the same case yourself that Bramble was not very good after that. Oh yeah, and I absolutely agree that 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 I mean I totally I don't know if I agree, but I totally say on my own that 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 headbutt that that Bramble took on Mancini was very unfortunate. That in fact, um, I, I, I you can't stop a fight of a, of a kind of caliber or kind of tension on in the first round, but but for the sake of you know if you if you like Mancini and you, and you hate to see him lose that way. I, I like great, him. I hate to see him lose, but I just don't think he's one of the all-time greats at lightweight. I think he was a damn good fighter. I think he is underrated more than anything else. If we can agree on that. Who do you want to do next, Chris? Okay, okay, okay. and he did also too. There's some guy that's in the baseball hall of fame who Ty Cobb, man, that guy's at the top of the list of the hall of fame. And there's maybe somebody else like uh, Dickey, the catcher for the Yankees. Yeah, I don't know. Bill Dickey is one of the top five catchers of all time, though. Well, I don't know about that, but we won't argue about that. But anyway, there's going to be guys that, that are in the Hall of Fame that are different levels. And, and but there shouldn't be. There should the never be. There level. should never be different levels in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame should be for the greatest of all time. Hey. The only hitters that were this were in 1930. How about this? Chris, I'll give you this. I think that if I ask you if somebody's a Hall of Famer and it takes you more yeah. than a second or two to say yes, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I would say they aren't clear. They aren't quite clear. I, I just think this. I think if, as a Hall of Famer, you're one of the greatest players that ever lived. Um, I interviewed Tommy John. A lot of people tell me you should be in the Hall of Fame. I love should. Tommy John. Yeah, but but he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not Sandy Koufax. He's not Bob Gibson. And I just think that you cheapen the Hall of Fame when you put levels in the Hall of Fame. Maybe we ought to just well, have a. Maybe we should just have hey, a Hall of Better Than Average. As a Dodgers fan, and I love Tommy John, I knew the Dodgers were going to win the World Series in 1981 when they pulled Tommy John. 
I thought we missed it. Told Tommy John, I go, finally, we're going to win a World Series. And I'm not sure we're going to win a World Series if Tommy John's still in games. Yeah, but he won almost 300 games. People will make the case for him. But he also was still trying to come back from that injury. But who do you want to do next, Chris? If he automatically in the Hall of Fame, I don't know. I I, I think about it a second, but I'd say yes to Gaylord Perry being the Hall of Fame. Well, he cheated. I would say yes, but he cheated. I don't know. You know, you have to think about it. I do pause. I'm a pauser. Some people, that could actually be annoying when when being a pauser. I am a pauser. When you ask me a question, I pause. Uh, That could be very annoying to people. Yeah, but uh, you know what? uh, If I say Chris, should Babe Ruth be in the Hall of Fame? Well, yes, that's what I that's want that you to hear. Thank you. Those are Hall of Famers. Right. Well, Dickie Sam is a, Langford. Dickie's Sam, Sam Langford is a Hall of Famer. You know, Ezard Charles is a Hall of Famer. Um, Ray Mancini's name doesn't belong with those guys. There's you know, a Walcott. Is he a Hall of Famer? No. I don't know. No. So Jersey Joe Walcott doesn't deserve to be in with Muhammad Ali, Larry Holmes, George Foreman, Joe Lewis. Dude, how old was Joe Lewis when he beat him twice then? 34. But there was a big difference in those two guys' 34s. Jersey Joe Walcott's a guy that got better as he got older. Uh, and what, the reason I might be Walcott, because it wasn't a sure thing to me, whether it's a yes or a no. Uh, I said, there's a pause on Walcott. I don't think there's a pause on Ezra Charles. Yeah, Ezra Charles is in the Hall of Fame. No, Ezra Charles is the greatest. Ezra Charles is the greatest light heavyweight I've ever seen. But I didn't pause him in TV. I thought he should be in if people don't think so. That's fine. I, I'm, not, I'm just saying I'm not part of his bandwagon. I, I enjoyed Mancini. I rooted for him in fights. But it's not cloudy what I think when I when I see him over the last two, three weeks. Let's see. And Jersey Joe Walcott, but, didn't he lose to Joe Lewis twice? Yeah, he beat him the first time. The referee flogged him. And the second time, he knocked him down three times. And the second fight, he was beating him. And the referee told him to engage. When Walcott wasn't bicycling, he was simply boxing. And he got robbed. He got robbed twice. He got, uh, yeah, but that's also, once again, that's and 
Marcion, he was like 38 and got knocked out in the yeah, first round. Yeah, but, but the thing is this. You, you can't use yeah. that because the same year he lost to Marciano the first time, he beat Ezard Charles and would, I mean, he right before that, he knocked out Ezard yeah. Charles. So to me, yeah, a lot of good I don't think age necessarily means whether a fighter's done or not because I think when you look at a guy like Jersey Joe Walcott, there's a case to be made that the last three or four years of his career was his prime. It could be, and as I said, you don't, you know, World War II did uh, affect his uh, overall route, and then 34, and he fought Silva the first time. He knocked Silva down twice. He easily wins that fight. He easily wins that fight, and the referees lost him. Joe Lewis walked away knowing he lost the oh, fight. That was he an old Joe won. Lewis. So, Joe Lewis. The thing about Joe Lewis, though, kind of like Ali, that well, even, he just even when he was done, Joe Lewis could still beat guys he shouldn't have been able to beat because he was able to adapt and do what he needed to do, if you know what I mean. It's like Ali went from being able to box your ears off in 1965 to 1975, just grabbing you, wearing you out, walking you backwards, tapping you here and there, and just figuring it out. I just think that your World War II affects your Lewis legacy in a sense that Lewis can't really fight, you know, because you know, the oh, war yeah. going on. Yeah. So I think, but I think you have to give Walcott and the other fighters the same kind of break. There's certain things that happen that cut into your career. Uh, the coronavirus won't let people fight right now. Uh, I don't know. It's not going to last as long as years, but uh, but things happen. And anyway, I'm I'm giving Walcott every benefit of the doubt, and you're giving him no benefit of the doubt. I'm saying somewhere in between is whether he deserves to get in or not. All right. Um, who do you want to talk next? Well, I, I would have loved to do something like Primo Carnero because of the, you know, the Italy connection. But I know you have a lot of people like that. I can you know, do Primo Carnero. Yeah, I'd love it. I would really enjoy that. I would like have a lot of fun doing it. All right, that. just let me know when you want to do it. You want to do it later this week, two weeks, or what? Yeah, like about 10 days, because I really want to enjoy the fights, too. And now I'll a little bit about the mob stuff, but I really want to see the fights. Just this giant guy um, who, you know, I, I, I really enjoy doing criminal thing. That would be a really fun one. And the coronavirus really is causing my life problems. And it's not because of you problem. It's, it's a domino effect. It's, it's affecting... Other things that are affecting other things that are affecting other things that are creating crisis, at least around me. You know, I don't know how much problems it's causing or not causing you. Well, this is the thing, Chris. I generally social distance anyways because I don't like people. So it's not that big a deal to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like people either, but I'm stuck going out around them. And I wear a mask and gloves. Ah, uh, hell, you probably ought to wear a mask all the time, Chris, the way people are, so... <laughs> But, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying what you're knocking right now. All right, guys, we're going to uh, wrap it up. We will be back in less than two weeks. Just follow us on Twitter, at Grilling Truth. We'll let you know where we're coming back with the Primo Carnera, old-time boxing show. But for now, make sure you listen to our shows on iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find sports podcasts. You'll find the Grilling Truth. For Christopher Shelton, I'm Mike Goodpaster. You've been listening to the Grueling Truth, where the legends speak. <laughs>